Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Health mode, just delivering coffee and scones and muffins and banana bread um, without disrupting the service. So um, they do a fantastic job. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Um, we are combining, going deeper and going forward this morning, as Phoebe said, so that's cool. Um, what I'm going to do, I'm preaching from four different um, chapters, Genesis 37 through till 40, 37, 38, 39, 40, all of which are very different. There's a little bit of flow through those four chapters, but there's a bit of difference as well. So what I'm going to do, instead of going deeper to start off with and then going forward I'm going to do each chapter I'll do a summary of each chapter and then do deeper and then forward and then move into the next chapter yeah does that make sense so otherwise if I didn't give that disclaimer you would think I'm all over the shop but that's um, <laughs> that's up for debate anyway um, but here we are going into chapter 37 so chapter 37 for those who are aware Joseph um, narrative is starting up. Uh, Joseph's narrative in Genesis takes up about 13 chapters, so it is a, a fair chunk of Genesis. He's an important character. He's a hero of the faith. Um, chapter 37 is when Joseph is thrown into slavery. He's one of 12 sons of Israel, 12 sons of Jacob. Um, he's the favourite by far. You would have. Uh, he's the guy with the Technicolor dream coat. Um, if you're a theatre theatre person, um, cultured like me, no, that's fine. I'm not cultured. I wear a linen shirt sometimes, but apart from that, I'm not cultured, um, <laughs> despite Phoebe's efforts. Um, Joseph is one of 12 sons. He's the favourite. Uh, he's not in the messianic line. So Jesus doesn't come from him, um, which we'll touch on a bit later on. Um, but because he is the favourite of Jacob, his other brothers... 11 brothers get jealous of him and he has this profound gift of receiving dreams from God and interpreting dreams. So he gets a couple of dreams. Um, one is that he has a dream that sheaves of corn would bow down to him is one dream and another dream is where the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bow down to him and he through lack of wisdom um, tells his brothers about his dreams. Now um, which the brothers don't take all that well. So the brothers throw, have a plan to kill him. The sensible brothers overthrow that plan to kill him and think, well, why don't we just dispose of him, get rid of him? Um, so he is thrown into a well and um, he is uh, eventually sold into slavery. So this is part of the Egyptian rule. And the, uh, he eventually gets taken by the Ishmaelites um, to Egypt. So the Ishmaelites are coming from the east and they are moving towards the west to the Egyptian empire where there was a big slave trade. Now the Egyptians would take prisoners of war and keep them as slaves um, or they would uh, commercially um, acquire slaves. So Joseph was sold for 20 shekels to Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the um, captain of the guard. So the guards being people who will look after prisoners. So he is the chief prison warden. He is the executioner as well. He is a dangerous 
dude um, and very powerful as well. So anyway, if we unpack this chapter, the dreams that people had in the ancient Near East were really symbolic and people used to put a lot of emphasis on that. So Joseph thought that he was doing people a service by telling him, telling their, telling his brothers of his dreams. Now, I barely tell people about my dreams. Uh, they, they're weird. They're wonderful. I don't think they mean much. Um, sometimes they do. Sometimes, very, very occasionally, I might get a God dream, um, which is profound for me, but not profound for um, my siblings and people around me. So I never really share them. Um, however, that's a value that we have on our culture. Um, the ancient Egyptians and uh, those in the ancient Near East had a high um, belief that there was divinity behind dreams uh, and that's how the gods would uh, talk to people. So uh, it is just by divine providence that even though Joseph felt like he was proclaiming God's word, which he was, the dreams were true, um, it was only by divine providence that the Ishmaelites were heading to Egypt. He could have been killed, he could have been destroyed by beasts or wild animals, he could have been picked up by anyone else because the brothers didn't care, but he was picked up by these guys that eventually took him to Egypt to take him to Potiphar's house to then go ahead with um, his destiny. So God, God allowed that to happen. God allows bad things to happen, um, but he works with them. So it doesn't matter what happens in life. Joseph... The story of Joseph shows this, that he thought, all right, well, I've got some big stuff that's going to happen. God's told me these dreams. I'm going to tell my brothers. They're going to be really excited. How good's this? And the brothers weren't. And so Joseph must have been scratching his head as he's in a, in a cart on, on the back of a camel, um, chained up, heading to Egypt, thinking, how did I get into this position? God, what's going on? Um, I don't know if you've felt that way in your life. I don't know if you've thought, all right, God's got this in store for me or I'm going to take that opportunity or my life is going in this direction and then for whatever reason, be it God or just the result of living in a sinful world, it takes an absolute turn. God can still handle that. God still works with that. God works with sinners. God looks after the righteous and he will always ensure that he will look after you if you're living in his will, which Joseph was. And there's a verse here, Proverbs 11, 29, 30, that says, He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Joseph remained righteous. The other righteous brothers were Reuben and Judah in chapter 37. Um, they, they helped protect Joseph's life. And we see that in, in the rest of Genesis, their impact for the kingdom of God, although questionable, which we'll get into in next chapter in regards to Judah, um, was still honouring to God and God still used their heart because they tried to do what was right. They were a servant to the wise. They were righteous and, and God used that. Um, the other guys, the other brothers, um, they were, particularly Simeon and Levi, um, they were cursed by Jacob on his deathbed. So they were the ones that brought trouble on the family um, and they really paid for it. They really did. Um, so anyway, misfortunes 
can be used by God just as much as good circumstances can, and we saw that in this chapter. Chapter 38, Judah and Tamar. Now, Genesis has this lovely flow of an underpinning message of grace, and it flows through eschatologically through the Bible. And the story of Joseph is very lovely, and before that, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it, it flows really well. And then there's this one chapter, chapter 38. If you, uh, if you just kind of don't stop to think about it, it is just weird. It, is, it, it feels like it's out of place, but I'm going I'm to hopefully show you why it isn't. Um, what happens is Judah is one of the brothers. Um, Tamar is his... Um, daughter-in-law. He has two sons, Ur and Onan, um, other names. I've, I've been reading genealogies in Genesis for weeks on end, and I'm, I'm losing track of some of the names, Ur and Onan. Ur was married to Tamar initially. He died. Onan was then told to carry on the bloodline um, with Tamar and, uh, and, and give children through there. Um, but he didn't. He refused to do that, and so he was smited by God. He was killed by God, which is weird. Um, and we won't get into the theology of that this morning. Uh, I've got 25 minutes on the clock. I'm sorry. Um, and then there's the third son, Shelah, uh, but who was much younger. So Judah thought, okay, well, I've gone through the two sons. Um, we'll wait for junior Shelah to grow up to be of age, and then he can carry on the bloodline through Tamar. In that time, Tamar goes back to her father's household and Judah um, goes ahead with, uh, with raising Shelah. Judah goes to the town where Tamar is and, um, and thinks that she is a lady of the night. I'm just trying to um, be cognizant of young ears here and I don't want to have a follow-up conversation on that profession um, with my five-year-old later on. So he, he has a, uh, a relationship with her, um, a very short one, and then <laughs> um, she is with child. She's with child, his own daughter-in-law. Um, now, which is weird and horrible um, in our cultural context. However, as we find out from the Mosaic Covenant later on in Exodus, um, and, and as the law transpires, we, uh, we understand that carrying on the bloodline is a sovereign thing of God. And what, what happens is um, she is, is an unlikely heroine of the faith. She has a plan to grab his seal, which is a ring that has an imprint on it, which is like um, it's really individual. So what would happen in the ancient Near East was you'd have some kind of picture or symbol on your ring and you would press it into clay and that was kind of like a signature. We see that on like company documents or you, or you have a degree from a university and there's like a little gold sticker that's called a company seal and it's still a thing today. And in the ancient Near East they had, I've got a, I've got a cross on my ring, um, they, would have a, they would have something on their ring that they would press in and so that was an individual sign, um, a marker if you will. They would wear it around their neck. And so she took that. She took the necklace of his um, and, and the, the seal, the ring, um, as, as a bit of payment. So he, he finds out that he has unintentionally carried on the bloodline. He was just trying to get a lady of the night and, um, and she disguised herself in that moment. Um, and it's a weird interlude because Judah 
is actually the, the head of the tribe that 37 generations later Jesus comes from. And that's how the bloodline is carried on. And which is weird because Jesus Christ is without sin. Jesus Christ is the Messiah from heaven and he's carried into this world through this bloodline that is continued with such a, a heinous act um, in, our, in our cultural context. But what, it underpin, what underpins there is this message of grace, that God can use any kind of sinner. And whilst Judah was very vocal against his brothers um, in, in saying, no, we can't kill Joseph, this is wrong, He's actually carried on and the tribe of Judah is one of the strongest in the Old Testament and the line of Judah is what bring, eventually brings Jesus Christ into the world. And Tamar, through such an awful act, becomes this, this, person, of very little inf- this very, person of very little influence, becomes this um, covenantal um, figure that really carries on the bloodline. She's an unlikely heroine of the faith. Um, and so whilst this story in Genesis 38 is quite unusual, I'm reminded, I think it's, it's so important and it's one of the most important chapters in Genesis because it shows that God can use anyone and anything out of any situation just to prove that he is sovereign over all. So God didn't have to have a perfect line of sinless people or righteous people for the Messiah to be brought into the world. He actually chooses a family that are so stuffed up. Um, And I don't think that I'm that stuffed up, but I am a sinner. The Bible tells me that. I'm convicted of that day in, day out. I'm human. I'm prone to sin. We all are. And and I have no stature. I I don't – that's not a short joke, by the way. I don't have stature. Uh, in society, I don't have stature in history. I'm not going to mount to anything that where I'm going to be a household name. Um, and that's not a sad statement, but it's the reality of, of me on this earth. And it's the same with pretty much everyone in, in this room as well. Um, and it's not a very encouraging thing to say, but that's as, as a human in the kingdom of God, within God's plan, we are so insignificant, but we have a God that chooses to choose us and to work through us and no matter what we've done in the past and we've talked about this in previous weeks he can he can forget about our past and he can pivot with our present circumstances to point us towards a really bright future and I don't know about you but that's so comforting to me knowing that I've made mistakes in the past I'm probably going to make mistakes today I'm probably going to make mistakes tomorrow and forevermore until the day that I leave this earth but that's just as that's just as probable and definite as God still pursuing me and wanting to use me, a sinful fallen person. So, so what I learn about here in chapter thirty-eight is that as long as I am trying to be righteous, doing what I can, but understanding that I'm only righteous through God, I will succeed in the kingdom of God, and you will too. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose Tamar. He chose Judah in a, in a moment of sin to carry on an important bloodline, to carry the Abrahamic covenant 
where people, descendants of Abraham, would continue on to populate the earth and to, to spread the gospel eventually. Unlikely people become God's vessels. I think that's just the most encouraging thing whenever you feel like you're on top of the world and you think that you are really talented and you've got everything to offer everyone or whether you feel the opposite. And we go through both feelings as humans. Um, But I, I hope that that's comforting. All right, chapter 39, Joseph and Potiphar. There's a lot of adultery in Genesis. <laughs> I don't know. Just going through the last couple of weeks, uh, months really, it's been about 20 weeks that we've been in Genesis, 15 weeks. Um, there's just a lot. Anyway, I guess it's no different to today. In our world, uh, you could make the, um, the cultural argument there. Uh, Joseph and Potiphar. So meanwhile, in Egypt, <laughs> another brother, Joseph, um, has... Risen in the ranks. So Joseph has uh, been sold into Potiphar's household. Potiphar, a very powerful person in, in Egypt. Um, Joseph, by his good character, is given responsibility. Um, we see in Genesis 39 that he is young. He's about 30 at this stage. Um, he's well-built and he's handsome. Um, adding on top to... On top of that, he was very good, a very capable person, a good leader, a godly person. Um, he had quite the resume, it would seem. Um, no wonder his brothers were jealous of him. He just had it all going, a bit of an alpha male. Um, now, we, we read that in, ver- in chapter 39, God blessed the household of Potiphar because Potiphar put Joseph in a position of responsibility and leadership. Um, and I'll say this with the Benells, um, not his, Benells Senior. God has blessed this church because of the leaders that he's put in, in leadership here. I'm talking, I'm talking about um, Pastor Bron and Daz. I'm not talking about myself or, or anyone else. Um, but I just wanted to say seriously that this church is blessed under God because of those guys and their, um, their devotion to him, their response to what he's called them to, um, and I just want to publicly say that, and I hope the podcast is working um, for that purpose, um, but I, I genuinely believe that. Uh, I'm very excited to be a part of this movement. Um, we see that God blesses ministries because of good people, and this is what we learn about in chapter 39. Um, now, Potiphar's wife continually harassed Joseph with seductive requests and he kept saying no, such as the character of the man, such as the understanding of God in him. Um, and the Lord blessed him um, throughout all of that. And what happens is um, he is wearing an outer cloak and eventually one day after many daily requests of this harassment, um, it was what we were, we were put uh, we would use the term harassment in in our day and age um, he he's wearing an outer cloak over his robe and she grabs it and and it slips off his shoulders and she uses that to build a bit of a story to say hey he um he did the dirty with me um, and she tried in spite to to um to really destroy him 
Um, and it kind of worked, but if we, if we read the following chapters, we understand that Potiphar still um, instructed people to give him responsibility, even in jail, which if you read commentaries, a lot of people will say that Potiphar actually didn't believe his wife's story. He, he believed Joseph's story, which is I find really fascinating. Um, what that highlights to me is that character speaks volumes, and if you maintain righteousness and maintain strong character, God will honour that no matter the setback. Um, however, uh, I don't have a theological point here on this one, but isn't it interesting that um, he was sold into slavery because of his Technicolor dream coat? And he was put in prison because of the her grabbing. Yeah, I'm getting a yeah <laughs> over here, um, which I've never thought of before. But yeah, I, after that, I wouldn't be wearing a cloak. Um, <laughs> bad things happen. Don't wear cloaks. Uh, anyway, there we go. Um, so, but the Lord was with him, and uh, and in chapter 39, verse 23, it says, um, "The water paid no attention to anything under." Joseph's care. This is when he was put in prison um, under false allegations of adultery because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. God blessed the setback. God blesses setbacks. No matter what happens in your life, um, God will bless that. And Joseph must have been in prison thinking, what about the sun and moon and 11 stars, that dream? What about the sheaves of corn? What about that dream? I'm, no one's bowing to me here in prison. I'm a prisoner in a foreign land. I'm a Hebrew in Egypt. What is, what is all that about? What's going on? What I learned from this is that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And Romans 5.3 um, talks about building your character. And it says that we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. So Joseph had to go through a suffering. And it wasn't just one single event. Like he was in prison for two years. So he had to develop perseverance. And so through all of that, I'm sure he was thinking, but God, what's going on? Like I had so much success. You were using me. We were fulfilling that dream with the sheaves of corn and the sun and moon and the 11 stars. And what's going on, God? Like you got me, you got me here and I was doing a good job. I thought I, thought I was honouring you. I didn't, I didn't sleep with Potiphar's wife. I was, I'm doing everything, I, doing everything I'm, I'm meant to do, aren't I? Um, and, God was, and God through all of that is thinking, yep, absolutely but I want you to suffer so I can develop some perseverance in you. And once I develop that perseverance in you, I'm going to continue building that character. I see that strong character, Joseph. I see that perseverance, and I'm going to build on that. Wait for me. Be persistent in your persevering, and I'm going to bring you out, and we're going to do some mighty things here. And that's for next week um, that we'll, we'll get into um, next week. But growth inside fuels growth outside. I'll say that again. That's, that's a quote from John Maxwell, who's a, a Christian who has some profound leadership teaching. Growth inside fuels growth outside. If you're big inside, if you allow God to grow you inside, um, if you, you allow God to help you persevere through trials and sufferings to build your character... The outside world 
that you are in will grow. The people around you will see your character. People will talk about you before they meet you. People will understand who you are before they really know who you are because of your character. Character goes before you and God uses that. Good character goes before you and God goes before you and he can plant things before you like he does with the story of Joseph. Chapter 40, the last one. We're getting back into some dreams here. So what happens in chapter 40 is there's two men in Pharaoh's palace. One is the cupbearer, the guy that gets the Pharaoh drinks. He's basically a glorified barman, but he's quite well esteemed in the hierarchy of what Pharaoh has. And there's the baker as well. Um, I don't know if he makes really good scones and muffins like the good folks at Muffin Break do, um, but he did a really good job. He was the best baker in Egypt. And so he... They both did something, and the scriptures aren't all that clear uh, in chapter 40. It just says sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. And so he just threw them in prison because uh, he can. He's Pharaoh. He's the most powerful person on the face of the earth. And so they end up in prison for causing offence. And, and what happens is they both have dreams and they... They have these dreams where that are, are quite similar, and I won't go into the detail of those dreams um, because they're quite metaphorical. But but Joseph um, says in chapter forty, verse eight, he says, "Do not all interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams." So in that moment, Joseph realizes that he does have a, a position of responsibility in the prison, but now he has this God moment where. He thinks, oh, hang on, I'm here for this purpose. So we've got some powerful dudes that have just been thrown behind the bars and we've got, I've got this moment where I'm gifted in interpreting dreams and God speaks to me through dreams. Now I can have this God conversation with these two influential people. And so he does. And despite the guys having two um, quite similar dreams... Joseph interprets it as the cupbearer having a favourable outcome and, um, and it's all good. And eventually he gets reinstated. He gets his old job back. He's called in. Um, but the baker has a similar dream and Joseph says, no, Pharaoh's going to kill you for what you did. And um, sure enough, Pharaoh, Pharaoh kills the baker. Poor baker. Um, and Joseph, Joseph puts this caveat on his interpretation with the cupbearer and he says, hey, cupbearer, when you go back, to the, go back to Pharaoh's palace, can you tell him about me? Can you just remind him that I haven't really done anything wrong here and I've served two years, a hard two years. Can you just remind him? And the cupbearer goes back and he's reinstated in his job and he forgets, he forgets. So he hasn't um, honoured that commitment. Um, but what happens eventually and... Uh, you'll have to tune in next week because uh, this, this goes into chapter 41, um, which isn't my patch this week. But what happens is that uh, Joseph is uh, eventually reinstated into a powerful position. And so that gifting, that spiritual gifting that put him into slavery, interpreting dreams where his brothers threw him into slavery, that eventually gets him out 
And God reverses that circumstance. I reckon God had a bit of a chuckle throughout all of that, thinking, mate, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to reverse this. Um, I'm going to reverse these circumstances so that I'm going to elevate you onto this platform that is unprecedented for an Israelite. But I love the fact that Joseph decides to use his gift when the last time he did, it ended so poorly for him. And it couldn't have got much worse when he was in prison, but God used him to, and through his boldness to do that. And we find that um, there's a line of blessing in Joseph's work similar to his father Jacob. So Jacob did some bad stuff, but he was always thinking big picture, always honouring God, um, always trying to be righteous in his own strength. And God really blessed that through his work with Laban and the, the way that he increased his flocks and his riches. And you see that same work ethic and that same big picture thinking and that same tenacity in his son Joseph. Joseph picked up on that and Joseph has learnt... <coughs> Sorry, Joseph has learnt to um, hold on to this God moment, those dreams that God gave him so that he could get through his trials. His trials were greater than his father's, but his triumphs were also greater too. And so what I want to say uh, to close up, life is messy. Life sucks sometimes. Um, and, I, and I say that hopefully with enough sensitivity with um, what we've announced this morning, with what Phoebe announced this morning. Life sucks sometimes. It really does. And we think, God, where are you in all of this? I thought I was doing all the right things. Reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm tithing. I'm a good person. My family love me. What's going on, God? Why is all this bad stuff happening? And bad stuff will happen because we live in a sinful world. Life's messy, but the same sinful world that we live in, God lives in too. God's here. God's around us. He's before us. He's behind us. He's beside us. He's everywhere. And while sin circles us and we, we feel like bad things happen and they choke us and they hold us down, God is still there in more measure than sin, ready to lift us up. And so in the depths of a dungeon that Joseph was in, in the circumstances with Judah, with Joseph heading on the back of a camel into slavery, God was still there. God, God was on that camel. God was in that system that Joseph was thrown in. God was with Judah and Tamar. God was with everyone every step of the way. But he was just allowing those circumstances to build character. Without that character, Joseph wouldn't stood up to Potiphar's wife. Without that character, he wouldn't have risen to position of responsibility. Without that character, he wouldn't have become the, one of the most powerful people in history. All because God allowed bad things to happen. And so that's, that's a hard thing to wrestle with because we don't like it when bad things happen. We would much rather say to God, God, can you just grow me with little bad circumstances, not big bad circumstances? Or can't you, you're the God of the universe, everything's possible. We, can't you just make me a better person? 
through good stuff as well. And he can, and he does, and he will. But the bad stuff will happen too. That's just the downside of living in a sinful world. Um, God's purposes will always come to fruition as long as we stay righteous and as long as we allow God to build our character. Um, hard word, really hard word to, to wrestle with because it hurts. But that's what we learn through Genesis. We learn that no matter what, what goes on, no matter how hard the circumstances are, no matter how heinous the sin is, God still chooses to work through us. Um, I'm going to pray to close up. And, um, and Phoebe's just going to run through a couple of announcements. Um, we can, we, uh, and I'd love to pray for people uh, right now, collectively, um, but if you're wrestling with something this morning or in this stage of life, please come and talk to me um, straight after we're done in the next couple of moments uh, because I, I want to pray through that too. Um, so just join me with, in prayer. Father God, thank you that... Good people and bad people are recorded in the scriptures doing, still doing your will. Your will is that you can, you can overcome any kind of sin, any kind of downfall, any kind of mistake and still make your promises come to pass. We thank you, Lord, that you are a loving God, a generous God, um, a God who is always in control, even when it doesn't seem like that. We thank you, Lord, that you want the best for us, that you want to bless us, that you want the biggest and the brightest futures for us. But that does include painful moments. And so, Father, I just ask this morning that you will help us to persevere through those trials so that you can allow us to become better people with stronger character. And, Lord, we acknowledge that perseverance and trials often build um, bitterness, often build um, anxiety, often build things that can, can take us away from, um, from what you want us to, to walk into. And so, Father, I just pray uh, against anything that's holding us back from becoming who we are uh, called to be uh, in you. We just ask, Lord, that you will bind that that you will um, bring your spirit to sit upon us and just to sift through the, the muck in our lives. And Lord, we confess that uh, we're all sinners and that we need you and uh, we can't do anything without you. And so, Lord, I just uh, want to thank you that you wipe all sin, that you work, that you work through people without, um, without having to weigh up their past. It's already sorted no matter how bad, no matter how average, no matter how good their past is. I just thank you, Lord, that you, uh, you work through that and that you sort that out easily um, through the cross. So, Father, I just ask that the Holy Spirit will come on us now, convict us of sin that we need to deal with and bring us into that will, that destiny, that plan, that purpose that you have in store for us as individuals, no matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, how seasoned we are, no matter how mature we are in our walk with you, just ask, Lord, that you will bring that to pass, um, your purposes through your people. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. 
Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.